Hey friend, and welcome back to the Alex Makes VR podcast. In today's episode, I am joined by post-production powerhouse Randa Debaje. She is an XR developer for PwC UK. And in this episode, she takes us through the whole post-production process for creating a VR training experience in Unity. Now, the specific project that we talk about in this episode is one that I've talked about in several podcasts now, but specifically we talked at length about it in last week's episode where I sat down and talked with Louise Liu and Jeremy Dalton from PwC UK about the In My Shoes project. For those of you who haven't listened to that yet, and I highly recommend you go listen to that, um, the In My Shoes project is a diversity and inclusion training project that is being used globally to transform the way employees are being trained in diversity and inclusion. It was a really exciting project to be a part of, not just because of the impactful content, but specifically from a technical point of view, this was the most ambitious project I have ever been involved with. Instead of going the kind of safe route and and making this a nice, simple 360 video experience, we decided to go for, push the limits basically of all of our skill sets and the technology itself. We decided to make this a volumetric video interactive branch narrative VR experience for Oculus Quest. Now, for those of you who don't know the technicalities of something like that, this project on paper should have been impossible, close to impossible anyway. But lo and behold, in this episode, Randa talks us through how they made it possible. She talks us through all of the challenges that they overcame, all of the intricate details that were considered in order to make this project a success. We also talk by the end about just unity in general and how you yourself, listener, can get started with the basics of working in a program like Unity, which is so powerful and one of the industry standard for the VR industry. So we talked about loads. I can't wait for you to listen to this one. If you've got any questions or future kind of episode suggestions, I would love to hear from you. As always, it's AlexMakesVR on Instagram and Twitter. And you'll hear Randa talk about where you can find her. And I'll put links down to her social medias in the description below. But I'll stop rambling now. Enjoy my conversation with Randa Debaje. Randa, you are here to demystify all of the complex post-production process that went into the recent um, volumetric, interactive, branch narrative uh, piece, PWCs, In My Shoes. Randa, welcome to the podcast. Please introduce yourself. What an intro, Alex. Well, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Um, I'm Randa Debaje. I am a XR, VR, AR developer uh, at PwC, and I work closely with uh, Jeremy and Louise, and we worked very closely on this project as well together. I'm yeah. excited. And for those of you, I guess, like, because I just dived straight in there because I'm excited to talk to you. To, to you about this project that we worked on for several months. Um, but for those people that haven't listened to that podcast with Jeremy and Louise, and for those who haven't heard me talk about this project before, the In My Shoes project, um, why don't you go, why don't you give us a bit of a rundown of what that project is and what it entailed? Okay. So this project is a about diversity and inclusion um, 
being in the shoes of someone going through microaggressions at work and um, the main element of this project was making sure that everything looks really realistic so um, the characters had to show certain emotions uh, that the user could read properly um, the environments had to feel real so like you know making sure that if it's morning it really feels like morning or if, it, if it's evening it feels like it's evening um, and it's little things like also making sure like rooms actually look like there's people living in it and people using the actual kitchen and, and uh, the bedroom as well. There's, you know, it was so hard making it seem like, you know, like it's people that are living here. Um, so so that, that was mainly like from, from the technical side, it, that was the, the, the project that we, the focus of the project is making it look realistic. And, and that's where volumetric capture comes into the play, which is what you, uh, you spoke with uh, Jeremy and Luis about previously. Mm. And uh, we were, we had a number of options when we were trying to pick what kind of characters we, we wanted to use in this project. And we had we went from stylized to uh, body scans to volumetric and we spent a good month trying to figure out um what is what what are the pros and cons of each character and you know with with stylized it was difficult because you know we're kind of working in a corporate environment and we need people to really feel like these are real humans um but then you know there's always that with 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 uh, 3D modeled characters or with body scans, there was always this fear that um, you know the, the the characters might look creepy because a lot of the scenes you had the characters stand. It, it's true though. You know how sometimes they blink at you and then it's like they're not. They're maybe blinking too fast or they're blinking too slow, and you're like, okay, this looks creepy. I don't know how mm -hmm. to like connect with this character. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I do. Um, so that's how we ended up with deciding at the end with volumetric capture and even though we knew like there was one big limitation to to um to volumetric capture and this would this would be like one of the biggest challenges that we'd have to face and that was the file size of the the videos mm. and give, getting give, them yeah give people a bit of an indicator on how big we're talking with volumetric capture file size wise <laughs> So if we wanted to go for like the best quality, like we wanted this to look like, you know, like 8K or large files and super high quality, high good colors, it would have been like, maybe for the entire experience, I would say like maybe 40, 50 gigabits, gigabytes, sorry. Mm. Um, but we went for, I think it was 2K, 2K resolution in the end. I think it was that, um, but we ended up with 18 gigabytes. So you can imagine that does not fit in one APK um, because you were limited to four gigabytes, I think. Um, so we had to kind of create a system where you can load the videos from outside the APK. Now the the, the challenging part is is because we use enterprise headsets and and we push things through the cloud to APKs through the cloud to the to the headsets, but. We can't do that with the video, so we have to sideload all the videos, um, manu like manually plugging it in the computer and then pushing these videos onto the headset. Now the problem is the APK moves off the headset, all these videos are gone. So like, there's we have to like tiptoe mm. around pushing these onto headsets and making sure we don't remove the wrong files of the headsets because if the headsets are with someone on another side of the world, they're going to open up the application and there's going to be voiceovers, but there's going to be no characters at all. So that was, yeah, that's, that's something we're still dealing with as well. Well, that, it's fascinating because part of the, the, um, 
the process of this project for me was kind of understanding all of these limitations right up front to be able to kind of like write and, and, and direct it properly. Um, but then luckily for me, as soon as we finished the shoot, it was kind of like hands off over to you guys. So I was stressed out of my mind up to the point where it was kind of completed production. But I can't even, I yeah, I didn't even know that there was like all of this going on in the background. I mean, I always knew that, um, that, you, that it was going to be a technically complicated process getting it to work especially on quest but i had no idea that you were having to kind of come up with all these different solutions and even now you're having to kind of to almost work around them which is fascinating and shows it just shows though like what a kind of innovative project it actually is and i feel like um other people or other organizations might have been put off by that but that's one of the beautiful things about um about you guys uh, at, mm -hmm. in your team at pwc is you're like oh that's impossible huh we'll see about that we're still gonna do it yeah exactly exactly so that's really fascinating and so let's dive into talk me through i mean you you've kind of given a really nice overview of uh, of what the project is and what some of the challenges were along the way. But let's rewind and take me through from, you know, from even before we actually uh, captured um, the actors in the in the volumetric studio from before that, what what was going on? Talk me through the actual process step by step. Who was involved? What were the elements that had to come together from a post-production standpoint? Okay, so obviously you were involved in the beginning steps of uh, of this project, and and we all knew that um, there were the one of the limitations with this volumetric capture as well was the fact that we only had a two meter radius to work with. So say that we wanted some characters to walk into the room, we had to make sure like the environment was designed to to for the user not to pick up the fact that they've actually just appeared out of nowhere rather than actually walk from a door. Mm. Um, so we in before we did the capture, we worked with a concept artist and uh, we passed the script to him and we said, okay, so we need characters to walk from here to here. We need this character to stand here, but we don't want to see their feet or little things like this. And eventually we came up with some environments, prototypes of the environments where we put the radius of the two meters around and we could we could see from what point to the what point the characters were going to walk to. Now, the good thing with working with CGI as well is that, you know, even if afterwards we, we made, someone made a mistake in the volumetric capture periods where we're capturing the characters and, and, you know, it didn't really match what environment we were making, we could still change the environment. So that was always kind of like a, like a good thing to know, like we can still change where the wall is going to start and it's going to end. Mm. Um, so when we were doing, I was, I was there on the day of the shoot and we had a Oculus headset and we had everyone kind of like envision the environment, uh, what it would look like um, and the space that they could walk in. And, and then we showed that to the, to the characters, to the actors as well. And, and they were able to kind of imagine like, what wall they were going to come through or also like when they were sitting on the stool and they had to pretend to work on a laptop and even that was just like you know like it was, it was so challenging mm. to see like oh my god like I hope their hands are in the right position like <laughs> you know, like otherwise we have to like really like make this table shorter or taller or it's just little things like this that 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 was very challenging and you just hope it's going to go well like you just hope like this is you know this is this is the the right 
path we're going because we only find out once we get the footage and we put it into the environment. Well, and that's that, that's kind of this because even just then you were saying that I remember. Um, do you remember we uh, kind of had in like meeting scenes, for example, we'd have to tell the actors you can't lean on the chair because your elbow, if it moves even like a centimeter, is going to go through the chair, and we can't <laughs> like that. We maybe can't do much about in in post. So like so so make sure you keep your arms in. And there were so many different things like that, like you say that um, although. Yeah, you could you have loads of control in post, like move a wall here or move a door there to make it um, so that they're not walking through that in in post. Still, there were like these things where we weren't sure until until it was over and you could bring it into the environment. We weren't sure that it was mm-hmm. um, potentially going to work, which was a fascinating yeah. way to work. But yeah, sorry, carry on. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're actually still like, there's still some things now I see and others don't see, but there's, there's hands going through tables and stuff. So we're just, we're oh, just really? glad we can hide it. Yeah. <laughs> These can be Easter eggs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, then after, after obviously capturing and everything, um, we, we had to start working on the environments, but without the actual footage. So we had um, 3D modelers, 3D artists. Uh, we had an environmental artist work with us. Um, on creating the 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 environment, the materials, and you know a lot of the a lot of the rooms as well were like the design wise was very bespoke. So it was kind of like I remember walking around like the office space and just thinking, oh, like what is it that makes an office seem like an office? And and you know like mm-hmm. what is the wood like? How can you actually? It's kind of like interior design in a way because I'm yeah. thinking, okay, like what is it that goes with white wood that makes the curtain looks better? Or like all these things are going into factors and also ensuring, for example, that you know if you have a kitchen and a and a bedroom in the same space, they need to have the same wood colors. They need to have the same curtains. Yeah. If you're if you're trying to show two different offices, you don't want them to kind of look the same. You have to make sure that they look very different so that people are understand that you're in another office at this point. Fascinating. So it was yes, yeah, so it was communicating these ideas with working with the 3D artists to create these these um these environments. And then obviously when when we got the, the, the volumetric videos, um you know, some things we realized didn't work or we had to change the environment a little bit or, and then talk, also talk thinking to me about that. Talk to me about like what, what specific things like might you have to change about an environment and why? It was, it was things like, so there was a kitchen scene where we had, uh, the character had to walk out of the kitchen and she started walking into the wall and you could kind of see that she was walking eventually like again through the kitchen. Mm. So it's little things like that. We panicked a little bit at first, but we realized we could just mask her out. So we didn't have to make much change in, in that sense. Mm. Um, but also, for example, in the kitchen as well, where she's the, the character is, is doing something over the stove. We had to move the stove a little bit to, to a different location, like to the side a little bit because if she turns around she's no longer looking at you so it was like the small details like that and and um there was also some walls that we had to move to make sure that um 
that you don't see the the character just like randomly appear from nowhere yeah there was <laughs> hello yeah. surprise yeah. yeah and it's actually funny because a lot of users as well tend to stand up and look around so like oh, really? to make sure as well if you if you stand up and then also look to your left or look to your right you don't see these mistakes that's really funny and well that was something that I wanted to chat to you about and and we will come back because I I realized that uh, we were kind of going chronologically there um like through Mm. the different elements but um on that note I remember one thing that I couldn't wrap my head around and still to be quite frank can't wrap my head around is with 360 like I know exactly where the user's head is going to be so I know that I can tell my actors to look at a specific lens on the camera and I know that that is going to be direct eye contact with um, with my audience. I know that. But when it came to volumetric, the thing that I couldn't fathom is that we were in this, obviously, this this um, the volume, the studio that we were filming in, with all these cameras everywhere. And I was like, well, surely we just like pick one camera and then that is the <laughs> audience. But no, it wasn't like that. It was like the camera, the eye line constantly moved. And then obviously, yeah, taking that a step further, your audience, because it's a six degrees of freedom piece where technically they could, if they wanted to, walk around the whole scene. Um, yeah, how do you kind of, how do you guys in post-production think about that in terms of we've got these actors who are sp- supposed to be talking to you as the main character because spoiler alert you know in my shoes you're literally in someone else's shoes and um, how do you deal with that if someone does start to kind of like stand up and move a bit and walk around do you know do you think how did you kind of think about that I guess um so I mean we we, we obviously do not advise for anyone to stand up and use their uh, with their headset and just start walking around the room Mm. In general, that's for safety reasons. Yeah, it was literally just making like a wall like a bit longer to make sure that even if they stand up and look over, they don't see things. It was also like things under the table. Like there was, because obviously like they're sitting, like what you're seeing is that they're sitting on a table and then using their laptops. But what you don't see is that they're actually like inside their chair rather than sitting on their chair. So it was like hiding things like that. Um that was that was a major challenge but in terms of eyeline as well um it was working with volumetric video as well is that you just have to play the 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 scene as well and then you get the actual video to play and then you have to move your head whereas there was there were some scenes that we had three characters and then you have two of them that were filmed together and one of them that was filmed separately so so the eye lines were off a little bit and you just have to kind of like find the center point like find where does it feel like all of them could potentially be potentially be looking because either way like sometimes you know when people adjust their guardian differently they might end up at like a slightly different spot than others so you're kind of hoping that it is along those lines but in but most of most of the scenes the island was very successful. Like people, the, the director and the producer at the studio did a really good job at making sure like the island was 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 well enough to to make it look like they're they're really looking at the user at the right position as well. And the good thing as well as working in Unity is that you can you can always just change where the character like where the user is to make sure that you know it aligns with everything. Like you, I guess you don't have that limitation with. You, like you're not forced to stick to like a w- wrong island you can always fix that in post-production so 
there's ways around it there's ways around everything in, in, in unity so. I love that I love and we'll definitely come on to talking about um, um unity and then your kind of I guess journey into post-production because I'm fascinated by that as well but let's keep on this tread of, of um talking about you know each individual step so we've talked about the environments you know that they were done pre-shoot and then obviously being able to adjust post-shoot um, and things like that so what happens next so you've got the environments are vaguely in a place where they're ready and then you've been kind of given the volumetric um kind of capture from the studio what kind of happens next what's the process of like bringing them all together like um so the next step was putting them into the environment we also were we were going back and forth with the studio about um because there was like several ones that we could pick from and from what what second it goes in what second it comes out also so other things that we were going back and forth with the studio was about the coloring because obviously like they're working on a flat screen what you see on a flat screen is very different what you're going to see in the quest Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, you know, the coloring was it was it looking similar to the environment? Was it not looking similar to the environment? Was it looking realistic? So it was going back and forth with the studio, and at the same time, we were working with an environment environmental artist who was creating all the shaders um, for the environment. So because there was a lot of things that were shiny and things that we wanted to look realistic. Um, I was going to say, just I'll, explain what a shader is for those who don't know, including myself. <laughs> It's like a it's like a programmed material, if that's the right way to describe it. You kind of program the way that you want a material to act. So you try, so if you want to make something like shiny or it, it kind of uses a lot of the power and the performance of the headset. So you can kind of code your way out of making it more optimized and to work better in, in the headset. So we had the environment, environmental artist working on that for us and he did a really good job at, really making things look like they're real like it was little things like the 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 um, the fridge as well like it just feels like you just kind of want to grab go up and and open it and then see what's in there but mm. uh, and then on top of that so we have obviously the environment is very separate to the the volumetric video and bringing them together and then making sure also the lighting works for, for both of them was a bit of a challenge. Cause it, you know, some things could, it could make the character look a bit weird, but it makes the environment look weird. So you have to kind of like find the, the, the middle ground b- between that. So that was, that was basically the next step. So we did a lot of testing and, and going into the headset and making sure like it's running smoothly and, and things aren't really crashing or slowing down or lagging or anything like that. So, yeah. That was, that so was can you one. do, because um, when we when we actually uh, filmed it in the studio, it's kind of consistent lighting, it's the same regardless. So is is that kind of, is the lighting of the scene all done in post? And do you, like you say, do you have to kind of, are you lighting the characters and the environment separately? Or, or when you get it into um, Unity altogether, are you just kind of casting the same lighting on both? Um, yeah, so you cast the same lighting on both. It was because even even though the care, so they they when they have lighting in the studio itself, they're lighting it to get the most out of the details of the care of the of the actor or mm. actress. But when you bring it into Unity, you might, for example, this is just a random example, nothing to do with the project. But say you want that character to be in a dark room, but they're quite lit up. Is so that you kind of need to make sure that they're on the same level of lighting, I guess. So that's that's a good way to explain it, I think. 
Yeah, that makes total sense. So so you've gotten the environments, you've gotten the characters in, you've made it look beautiful, the details are there. It, you know, the environments are as realistic as they can be to make sure that the kind of the photorealism of the characters and the environment aren't jarring. So it's all nice and smooth. And then you gotta chuck on top interactivity because this after all is a branch narrative talk to me about that because i mean a, 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 a even a linear volumetric video would have been quite the task uh, especially to run mm. on quest like say now add on top of that this layer of decision making so where where does that come into the process is that the very last thing or is that a consideration like beforehand talk to me about about that it was a con consideration throughout i think um, because, I mean, n knowing that there was like two branches of like three different scenes as well, it just added more like um, more storage, like we needed to work with more material. Um, but then I guess also the challenge for all of us, like you included, was getting it to look like, you know, it's a it's a smooth continuation like so you have obviously for example scene one and then you have two decision points so c1a c1b and they're all filmed separately and you need to make sure like they continue and they look really smooth enough to to for the character to to the user to really real to feel like they've you know like it hasn't really discontinued the scene mm. um now the good thing is that it was some it was a difficult thing to deal with in production and post production it was you know just we had to make sure that you know when when we're going from from scene 1 to scene 1a is you know it doesn't seem like it's been discontinued so what, all we did really is just to put a fade in and fade out and it was it was really smooth you really don't feel like you know that they were filmed at separate times you really feel like it was a continuation of each so in terms of the interaction i think it was more during production that was a challenge rather than the post production parts Mm, that's very true because because there was the way that we had to to give the listeners a bit of an insight the way we had to do that is by having um choreographing chore yeah choreographing the action of the actor to kind of end in a kind of neutral pose so that yeah. every time they got to a split they could then resume that kind of exact neutral pose to then continue the scene so that there was there was this kind of natural uh place that that actor could go back to so that they could kind of look yeah. as as close to as if they you know we hadn't cut the scene in half which for me I, I always think that those kind of things that and getting the actors to perform against a recorded take of the other actors those two were the biggest <laughs> things for me that I thought if there's any technical challenges that you know yeah. I'm responsible for making sure <laughs> that that works those two were it and it sounds like we managed to pull it off which is really exciting but again yeah. those are things that um like I say like, we went into this with all of these massive kind of uh challenges to overcome anyway to make this project what it was but then add in those decision makings I mean we really did <laughs> we really did go for it <laughs> yeah no I think we, I think ambition. we did a really good job like I remember like at, towards the end of the finishing of the project I remember I hadn't gone through the entire thing yet like, I hadn't watched it from one end to the other and I watched it finally and mm. I wanted to cry for two reasons one of them being like it was it was really emotional so like the entire I didn't realize how powerful that experience was like you really feel like you're in the shoes of someone else 
And then secondly, I was just so proud that we managed to pull this off. Like, I was like, I can't believe it. Like, I can't believe that that vision that we had, not just like for the characters, but also for the environments is actually came to life. Like, like I really thought like, because I was seeing all these other applications and I was like, oh, like the environments might not look that great. They might not look realistic. Like I was really worried that, you know, like this was going to fail or something. But really, I think we really pulled it off. And I think you know, like, you know how we work as a team and whatever is impossible, we're going to go for it. So yeah. that's exactly what we did. So yeah, no, it was, it was worth, worth the, the tears and the sweat that went through. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And those, those are the moments where, like you say, like you, you halfway through it, you think, why did we think this was a good idea? We could have <laughs> gone in with something so much easier. Like, but actually, like you say, the impact of it and when you see it pulled together, and then especially when you start to kind of see people that had nothing to do with the project, those people that kind of experience it for the first time, and they they're not looking at the hand that might be slightly going through a laptop, or they wouldn't know that those three characters are not actually in the same room when they are recording that. You know, they don't know any of that stuff, mm. and that kind of makes it um yeah that makes it all the more magical when you kind of like say when you pull it off but I want to talk a little bit about so we've kind of talked through the three key elements as I see it anyway the um for the uh the post-production is there anything else um apart from sound because I do want to get onto sound in a minute but is there anything else from a visual point of view that you had to kind of consider along the way no I think I think we've covered I believe we've covered everything Amazing. So let's talk about sound because sound is often, even just in this conversation, for example, it's the last thing that you kind of discuss. But weirdly, the sound makes or break a project, right? Like we can get away with so much visually, but if the sound is off, if your sound, especially for a project like this, where you are in the shoes of the main character, um, selling that to the audience, like sound is so important. So talk me through the uh, kind of the, the way that you worked with Luke, the, um, the sound engineer who did the post-production. So it was, you know, I think also Luis worked very close with him on, on the sound stuff. Um, and Luke was working with us to, to put these sounds into the environment and everything. But, you know, it was, a, it was a challenge because you have the inner voice and then you also have the sounds from the environment. So how do you make sure that the user understands that it's the inner voice that's talking and it's not someone else like around you that you can't see. So it was things like like when you're when the inner voice is on, you have to make sure that everything, all the sounds in the environment are are cut out from the scene. Um, you have to make sure because also we had the sound separately to to the videos. Mm. Um, so he was working on the sounds differently. So you have the videos in the environment. And we had to basically find a way to match exactly where the sounds were coming from, making them spatial and also aligning them with the, with the, with the speed of the map and everything. Because normally people just go in, they, they put it with the video and you just have the video there and it, like, it just works seamlessly that way. But we chose to have it separately because we wanted to add an effect. So like inner voice also sounds very different than how you would have someone else speak. It was also things like, for example, when you're in a lift, like what are the things you hear in a lift? You know, it's like you have to hear the the the, the door open, you have to hear mm -hmm. the lift going up and down. Um, so it was it was very crucial, and I think also music came into play a lot. Sometimes when you have like an emotional or strong um, strong scene, 
adding a bit of sound makes it even more emotional and empowering. Yeah. And I remember as well things like covering up mistakes and, and, and you know about this, but the script that we had an issue with and we were said something that we were not supposed to say. So coming up with an idea of how we can like make sure that this doesn't appear was also like a, a challenging part. But I mm -hmm. think, yeah, so it was, I think the sound was, was amazing. Like Luke did a really good job with the end. Like everything that I had envisioned for, for the environment to have sound, like it was just perfect. That's amazing. And and because I remember, I mean, firstly, I totally agree with you about the whole music just elevates, especially an experience like this that mm. is supposed to have so much emotional impact, like music just kind of even just a little bit of, of, of music throughout just really kind of elevates it. But um, I remember when we were going through the post-production phase and like, like a mentioned to the listeners I wasn't very close to that because I had already gone huh well <laughs> over to you guys <laughs> at this point um but I remember there being conversation about things like making sure that the sound and the video were loading at the same time so there mm -hmm. wasn't any sync issues so again was this a byproduct of choosing to um to create this piece for Quest specifically was this uh, was that a byproduct or a consideration because you know audio and video were kind of being treated separately how did you guys deal with that it was, uh, I think it was, because uh, I didn't, I, I wasn't the one that worked closely with um, with the sound and the videos per se, mm. uh, but there was a, trying to understand, for example, because we had so many different clips, so like you have the 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 internal, vo in, internal voice, and then you have the users and environment, and then you have another internal voice, and then stitching them together to make sure like, you know, it's, it's the same length as the whole environment, and then also making sure that the environment changes scenes after all that, all just, it was like, it's a, like, it's, it's, it's a very bespoke, I think, um, process of working um, that I would say, so it was kind of understanding, okay, like this happens here, so we should probably put this here instead, and so it was, yeah, it was, it was quite bespoke. I think it was no right or wrong way to do it. I think we mm. just kind of went with what we thought would be right to do. Yeah. Amazing. And was that using, um, uh, unity as well? The whole, the whole mm. piece post-production wise came together in unity. Is that right? Everything. Yeah. Except I think Luke probably used some other sound uh, tools, but yeah. he, 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 he helped us put them into unity as well. So. And speaking of unity, is there a particular reason why, because um, I know, and for those listening, um, just in case they are even less educated on the subject as I am, and I'm pretty <laughs> uneducated when it comes to game engines, but the two big ones are Unity and Unreal. Is there a particular reason why um, Unity was better for this project than Unreal, other than just the people that were on board, that was their skill set? It was literally because all of us just use Unity. Yeah. Um, and also, I, I mean, we only have, we only use Unity in our team. We don't really use Unreal. Um, and, and why is that? Explain, because again, I'm totally oblivious to any of this stuff. So it'd be great to understand what is the difference between those two game engines? So from my understanding, so they're used, they both use two different languages. So if you're stuck on one, it's unlikely that you'll go to the other one. Although some people have expertise in both. Mm. Um, but I think the main reason is that we see a lot of the VR stuff more apparent and, and unity rather than in Unreal. Although, don't get me wrong, Unreal does have, you can create VR um, applications on there. But we, what we're finding is a lot of the main clients and consumers and everything, majority of them use Unity for VR. 
Mm. Um, the tools are more apparent there. I mean, also when we find like, a lot of the times I find that if companies are providing SDKs or something, it's almost always Unity rather than Unreal. Got but it. So, Unreal, yeah. Unreal is not, sometimes it's more used for things that have like visually pleasing uh, um look to it so a lot of people are now creating movies and stuff using unreal so if you're kind of looking in that direction unreal is good i think if you're looking towards the 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 vr stuff it will be unity right and so yeah for someone who is quite interested in all of this how do how do people start like to to get educated on unity like how would you suggest how you know how people can get started with learning about this tool Okay, so the good thing about Unity, it's it's free. So you can go and download the application. You can start using it whenever you want. The other good news is that Unity has a lot of free tutorials on on, on, on getting started. Uh, if you want to go into 2D gaming, if you want to go into 3D gaming, if you want to do VR, AR, it's all there. Unity provides all free um, uh, tutorials for that. At the same time, you will find so many YouTubers and YouTube tutorials that will teach you everything that you need to know. It was how I started. I literally just created like a very simple game just to understand like the physics and what goes behind it and just the you know the, the just the input like how do i make sure like when the user the user clicks left they go actually left it's little things like that and and from there you realize oh okay there's so much you you should come up with some sort of like idea that you have and, and try to apply and create a project out of that so i do really recommend just getting into it finding a tutorial that you want to do simple starts don't go don't go crazy initially and when you get the basics you realize how everything is so much easier like so easy to do eventually so that's amazing that's advice. advice I love that I love that and I love the advice of just like getting stuck in and just just making something as you go along I feel like I preach the same kind of thing when it comes to 360 video and and learning how to direct and and learning about frame composition and all that kind of stuff it's the same thing just get out there get your hands dirty especially because something like unity um you know if you've got a laptop chances are it's probably going to be at least good enough just to run you know a, li a little kind of something something it might not be able to run you know super high-end um vr kind mm. of making on unity if that's even a phrase um but <laughs> the barrier to entry is as if you've got a laptop then you could probably start to learn unity whereas obviously on the filmmaking side of things um you obviously have to buy the kit or rent it or whatever yeah. so the barrier is like super low but i love this i i think that especially with a project like this um what we've kind of proven is that if things seem like they're impossible, if things seem like they are too out of reach, if you, if um, you know, if you feel like uh, you've got this idea, but you just don't feel like there is a way to actualize it, mm -hmm. with a tool like Unity, you can make all of those things possible, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like anything, anything, nothing is impossible um, because you're just recreating. So if you want to recreate an environment, you're just literally recreating it in, into Unity. Um, it, it almost feels like it's limitless. It becomes limiting when it comes to the hardware, I think. But with Unity as a software, it feels like it's limitless. You can, you can do whatever you want with it and you can create whatever you want with it. So yeah. 
Now that's interesting and is a perfect kind of segue into kind of talking about the distribution because like you say, the the this this piece would not have been a problem if we were rolling it out onto a high-powered PC, uh, <laughs> high-end, you know, VR headset with unlimited power. Like, we could have done whatever we wanted with this, essentially, because as long as we've got the processing power and the graphics cards, um, yeah. we're golden. The big bottleneck was rolling out for Quest. So you mentioned it a little bit at the beginning, but now we've given the audience the context of the whole project. Let's come back to... Dis distributing this and talk through the process of you know you've built it in unity now what okay so i have i mentioned earlier that the the problems of the file size of the videos and everything so in order to get the videos onto the headsets is we have to plug it into a computer move these videos onto a file inside the quest and then you can you can basically up and run it um now the problem we have is that a lot of our headsets are all around the world and we use an enterprise version of the headset so in order for you to get applications on there you have to do it through a cloud so you just send it to these headsets through a cloud you can send the apk so the actual application itself but you cannot send the videos themselves so what we've done is we've we've initially just side loaded them so we plugged them all into computers and we just put the drag and drop them into the headset but now when you have bigger number amounts of headsets and you have like one or two people to only do this so we're talking about 100 200 headsets or eventually there might be more mm. um we'd, we'd want to find a way to be able to remotely download the, these videos so we created an apk which um you can just directly download them from the cloud but for some reason, even that's proving difficulty because sometimes it crashes, sometimes it doesn't. So we obviously don't want to have a headset that's in like New Zealand and they've just tried to run it and it's just crashing right before a workshop that they're about to run. So we have to basically make sure that there's troubleshoot guidelines. We have to warn people that, you know, please go in beforehand and, and make sure that the app isn't crashing. Or if it is crashing, reach that to us and then we'll fix it for you. So there's a lot of ongoing maintenance with with this with this uh with this project now if it was not enterprise and it was a consumer headset version or you know we weren't really we were kind of using it inside the office and we weren't really sending it across the world it would have been much easier because you know before we give it to anyone we like double check and make sure that everything is there and then they can go do their workshop and come back but because it's it's internationally it's quite challenging but, you know, we, we're up for challenges. You know how we work in our team. So. <laughs> exactly. It's all right. It doesn't that, bother me anymore. <laughs> you've gotten over the the, uh, the feeling of being kind of comfortable and bored. Now it's all about, you know, what's the next yeah. um, what's the next impossible task that you're going to have to yeah. overcome? Um, but with, with that, will it become easier? Like, are you still looking into ways to, or is it literally a case of you've tapped out now? Like, this is as small as the files are going to get you're just going to have to deal with the fact that this is and until we get 5g for example yeah. which will allow you to download 50 gigabytes in however many seconds um until then is this is this it or are you still trying to find ways of optimizing this this is it alex like there's no other we tried we tried, <laughs> tried everything that we, we tried could everything. Like... <laughs> We came down, down to this point and we're like, okay, this is like the only way that we can make sure that if someone's remote, remote somewhere and 
they literally have the, the APKs disappeared off their headset or someone did something and they asked them to remove it. We mm. know for sure that if they run this application, it will still try to download the, 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 the videos and they won't go into the environment and then find out that there's actually no characters. And also we know from our side and we're sure that no one's going to go into the environment without the characters being there. So that was like one of the, the most important thing that we wanted. But um doesn't get any better like if it no it does not get any better if we had really fast wi-fi like even i had really really slow wi-fi like three months ago uh, and that i would have been impossible to download these videos so we always i guess before sending anything we also make sure that we've we've downloaded them from our end but funny enough we found out the office doesn't even have fast enough wi-fi to do this stuff <laughs> and if pwc don't have fast enough wi-fi what hope does anyone have? yeah exactly <laughs> well but i think that this is and this is fascinating right because this really does remind me of the first days uh of definitely my experience of getting into vr when i first started getting into 360 and trying to understand how on earth i was going to crunch you know a, a 20 gigabyte um uh, mp4 to to the point where it would run smoothly and it would be easy to send like you say over wi-fi remotely to people to see my 360 projects and it's so funny that no matter how far we've come it's still a problem obviously because as we're getting better with our as we're getting more advanced forms of capture as we're getting more advanced with um the utility of vr we're still bumping up against that kind of friction point between the software and the hardware um mm. which i find fascinating because i think that is one thing that until that's solved um well, not until it's off, because we're already making massive strides in this industry, like phenomenal yeah. strides. And the fact that we keep coming up against these things and then innovating around them is why the industry is successful. Um, but I feel like the second that that becomes frictionless, we're like a rocket ship, like we're off. Mm -hmm. There will be nothing that stops us. Because like you said, when you even experienced this project, having worked so closely to it, so you would have thought that that would have kind of dampened the emotional experience, but you still had this very visceral, emotional reaction to watching this piece. And imagine if we had the kind of hardware and the kind of, um, you know, limitations removed of getting it to thousands of people and they could all have that experience, that would be amazing yeah yeah but hope we, we can make it work as a team like we'll, we'll make sure that a thousand people will go through it eventually oh yeah i mean <laughs> and I, they I, will not realize <laughs> any difficulties behind them <laughs> until they listen to this podcast and they'll be like whoa <laughs> i have a newfound respect for that no it's true because the plan is to to get it seen by all twenty two thousand pwc uk employees right mm -hmm. let alone the global kind of impact of this project right yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was when you know the you know the pressure is on. So you yeah. need to make this happen and and you know as well, like it was it's so much easier if we just went for the typical 360 film and, and we, you know, because of mm -hmm. COVID we couldn't and, and we knew like we were gonna have to find a common ground and make it seem like this was almost a 360 film, but it's not, you know, like that's mm -hmm. how realistic we wanted it to be. So even that pressure, like having to make sure that it fits into this corporate like environment and this and this model for the training that they're doing, like it was really important because eventually we had like a conversation about making it stylized. We're like, okay, this a lot of people will not accept this or they won't really understand it or they might not feel the connection with the characters. So yeah, no, it is 
Mm. It was a crazy challenge that we went through, but yeah, we're not even and, done yet. Like it's just yeah. fourth now, I think. <laughs> Which is crazy, right? Because I remember <laughs> Louise and I had our first call about this project last May or June, I think it was. So it's wild that even mm-hmm. nearly a year on, this is when the fun just begins because this is when people start to actually put it into action and it's started to use in the in the way that it's supposed to be. So um yeah, so mm-hmm. just I just want to quickly rewind to the fact that because you've said the word stylized a couple of times, so I just I know what that means, but I just want for any listener um, who might not know what we're talking about when we're talking about the difference between stylized versus photorealistic. Do you just want to kind of like clarify and maybe give an example of what something yeah. that is stylized, uh, stylized might be? So a stylized character is more like a um, you know what you see in cartoons, for example, where they have like a bit you know big eyes or they have a specific style. So all the characters have like a specific kind of uh, style to their face. So it's kind of like when you're watching one like cartoon film, like how they all have a s- specific style of how their face is or what they're dressed, and that's kind mm. of what stylized is amazing thank you for clarifying that because I think it's interesting because like you say uh there is something so powerful about VR but when you then come face to face with another human being in a potentially real environment that's when to me it kind of like levels up and that's like you say why we chose to go down the route even though it about gave us all early uh early kind of um strokes (laughs) for for making it volumetric that's essentially why we kind of chose it is because that kind of that connection that you get from being face to face with a human is slightly different to being face to face with a kind of a characterization of a human mm-hmm. and um, yeah there was also the possibility of using 3d scans i remember but the face kind of looked creepy and, and because it's supposed to be like a real human like standing in front of you but once they start talking it was it was really hard to make it seem like it was real so volumetric was 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 a good choice talk to me about that talk because i don't think we went into too much detail about that in the podcast i did with jeremy and louise what would that have looked like so if we had done just a 3d scan of um of a character would that have been animated in unity would how would how would have that differed um so that would so we would have had so if we get a 3d scan we literally just get like the the kind of the texture around the, the character so what we would have had to do is we would have we would have had to bring in a 3d animator actually we would have at this with the many characters we have we would have probably had to like have multiple different animators at that point but they need they need to create a skeleton for this character um it's really hard sometimes to create a skeleton out of um like a 3d scan um and the next steps would have been to go into a motion capture studio um and also get a rig for the face because you have facial movements you have smiles blinks all these kind of needed to be captured but after you you leave the motion capture studio you have the motion capture data and that needs to be cleaned up now maybe 10 years ago that would have been a, a very impossible like a very difficult task nowadays it's become much easier but you mm. still get some glitches you still get some i mean it, with the time frame that we had it seemed like it was almost impossible to go down that route as well mm. um but you still have that you know you have that power though to still change things 
from how they were when you filmed this. You can have the animators, for example, change where the hand is or where it goes. And But these things take time and, and it's a lot of, you need a bigger team to work on it. You need a lot more people to, a lot more animators. Um, and then obviously bringing that into unity in the environment, you need to make sure it all works together and seamlessly. And again, it was, you know, the, the facial the facial emotions was very, very important. And with, with this kind of uh, character um, model, it would have been quite a challenge with the amount of characters that we had. Yeah, definitely. And, and like you say, it's, it's interesting because one of the downsides of volumetric is similar to 360 film. Like if it's not in the camera, it don't exist, but yeah. <laughs> you can't change it after the fact. Whereas with motion nope. capture, maybe you'd have a bit more control, but it comes a along with so many more complications and having mm -hmm. to 10x the post-production process which I don't think um yeah wouldn't have been timeline or budget friendly um no. but yeah really interesting well I feel like we have talked about I feel so lucky to have gotten to work with you on this project Randa seriously <laughs> it's, it's been an absolute pleasure and um let the people know like what what even brought you into XR because obviously I've known you since you started um with pwc but tell the people a little bit about how you even got into this kind of crazy stuff so how i got into it is um during my master's degree i was we were do i was doing a lot of 3d stuff um and I, I had like no experience in 3d and i absolutely loved it and i was like oh this is amazing you can create whatever you want you can recreate everything you can do whatever you want basically and um we had a unity module and initially i was like oh it's coding. I don't want to do coding again because I did my entire undergrad in coding. Um, and then we had to create a game. And if, like I started to really enjoy it for some reason. I was like, oh, this is really nice. Like I created this runner game where you run and it's about health and picking up water and making sure like your heart rate is at the same level. Um, mm. And then we went into, you know, during the year we were taught about, the, you know, one of the things you can do with Unity. And it's like one of them was uh, VR and AR. And I really, I like, I love the idea of doing VR and AR, but my biggest worry was that I'm not really a typical gamer. I'm not gonna, I, I don't wanna work in a, in a gaming industry because I don't really fit in. I wanted to do more of the things like the, the kind of work we're doing now. Like this, this to me was like where I wanted to be um, and to, to benefit, you know, society to benefit different industries and, and especially things like the medical field um and the construction field like the, the amount of training you can give people like offside is insane like even things where people are in dangerous situations and and they have to kind of you know you don't want to put them in there to train them but you can do it by vr and those were the things that really really made me want to get into xr and i was when i was looking for jobs and you know i was still applying to these gaming companies but i knew deep down i was like i'm not like you know i'm, I'm probably not the perfect candidate for them because i don't game a lot like i'm not always i do game sometimes but like i'm not a typical you know it's not what i do every day yeah um so then yeah i found this role at pwc and uh i got it so i'm here now and doing things that i want to be doing so and yeah, especially Amazing. this project was like, you know, the, the one thing that I came in for was for things like this. So making yeah. an impact with your work. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what have you, because when we first met and you were just starting, obviously you were kind of across the board having to like dip your toes in every different aspect <laughs> from like stitching 360 to like you say, like these kind of like rolling out apps on Unity to AR to to kind of uh, 2D capture placed in uh, in kind of uh, AR applications. So what's like been the best thing that you've like enjoyed learning about since being kind of part honestly i really enjoy every part of it there was nothing that i hated there's nothing that i didn't enjoy like especially now it's so nice knowing that i can have multiple different types of projects i'm not just working on cgi i'm not just working on 360 film i know that one project might be ar the other project might be like especially like i'd never thought i would be working with volumetric capture and and especially when I first joined the team I realized that a lot of the work that we were doing with 360 film and for the opportunities to come up that we're doing CGI and we're doing all these different things and trying out things was very exciting so it, I think it's more I find it more exciting rather than like um, dwelling I guess yeah um, so I enjoyed this part of the job a lot that's amazing the kind of variety of stuff and and to put you on the spot what's your kind of favorite piece as as a consumer or in a work context what's been your favorite piece of vr you've ever experienced yourself experienced hmm and that can be anything from like a game tilt brush whatever um you know recently i've really been enjoying beat saber i never thought i would say this but it's really fun yeah um I, it's just that you know what the social parts as well so recently me and my friend like we've been experimenting a lot going into like rec room and stuff and we've just been having like a blast like you've never thought about this but going into these rooms like listening to people's conversations there's just been parties we went in and bashed the whole talent show like it was really funny <laughs> That's amazing. I remember um, when the pandemic first uh, started and I went into alt space for the first time and had like a snowball rave. And I was like, what is this? Like, this is wild. This is a whole side of the industry I'd never seen before. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. So I think, and I I think uh, everything that I experienced in VR is a different experience. I don't think I have really my favorite piece, but it's just, I think, periods. Like now I'm really enjoying Beat Saber. Uh, maybe in a month's time I'll find something else that's fun to do but yeah the, the funny thing is like people obviously um not bash on Beat Saber but Beat Saber is obviously such a front runner in the VR industry especially in terms of getting people into it I think that's for such a good reason and it's because mm-hmm. no matter who I talk to no matter how long they've been in the industry Beat Saber is usually top three experiences same with myself like as a consumer the only thing that has gotten me into a VR headset just as a just a general person is Beat Saber it's so yeah. well done and I feel like I'll be interested to see what the next Beat Saber is, whatever that might mm-hmm. be, the application that just gets everyone into it. Because um, even like my kind of brothers who obviously do work with me on VR projects, but they're not massively into it. And they are gamers. So I'm surprised that, you know, it mm-hmm. hasn't kind of caught their attention beforehand. Even they ended up buying headsets purely for Beat Saber. So it's <laughs> can't so go wrong. Fun, yeah. There's no one that does not enjoy Beat Saber, yeah. I think. So it's a very true. arcade game. I like you could put it in an arcade and people would, would enjoy enjoy doing that together. So true. It's it's basically the modern day dance mat. I don't know whether you remember yeah. dance yeah. mat. Love dance mat. <laughs> <laughs> amazing well thank you so much for joining me for the podcast randa i really really enjoyed it for having me amazing (laughs) this has been fun as usual 
as always and and let the people know where can they kind of follow you where can they catch you on the old social meds so twitter for sure which is randa underscore debaje linkedin um for sure you can find me on there um and instagram so randa at randa debaje so these are the three places you can find me amazing and i'll link all of that down in the description again thank you so much randa and i'm sure we will speak again very soon yeah we shall we shall thank you very much bye well friend i hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as i enjoyed having it randa thank you so much again for joining me and giving us your time and sharing your expertise on all of this And friend, listening, I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you thought of this episode. Are you inspired to go and and pick up a copy of Unity and start educating yourself? Are there any other questions or subjects on on post-production that you'd be curious about me covering in future episodes? Reach out to me, let me know, AlexMatesVR on Instagram and Twitter. And as I mentioned, I've included all of the links to Randa's social medias in the description. Please go and show her some love uh, and support for uh, giving us her time today for now though friend enjoy your day wherever you are in the world and i look forward to speaking to you in the next one